Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Subversive Acts of Christian Joy. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, May the 17th, 2009. People talk a lot today about globalization but I'm always amazed when I read the Psalms how poetry that is 2,500 years old invites readers to embrace a view of the world that's not only global, but even cosmic in scale. Psalm 98 for this week is a case in point. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound in all that's in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, and the peoples with equity. This poetry originated from an anonymous and ancient poet of a geopolitically marginal people, and yet he calls every person in every time and place to offer thanksgiving, singing, and grateful devotion to Yahweh. His poem spells the end of all nationalisms and narcissism. Instead, he pushes us beyond all ethnocentric boundaries to embrace every other, and beyond every egocentric preoccupation to worship only God. At first, this seems contradictory. Isn't ancient Israel just as nationalistic as any other people? Yes, that's often been the case, not only for Israel, but for every nation. Every nation believes and acts like it's exceptional before God and before other nations. But embedded in God's original call to one particular person, Abraham and no other, was a divine promise of blessing for the universal world. Genesis 12.3 and so, properly understood in worship, the ancient God of the Hebrews has always been a global egalitarian as, a, as opposed to a parochial exceptionalist. As the Bible so often does, Psalm 98 commends a counterintuitive piece of advice. Don't go there. However accurate our modern cultural diagnosis of doom and gloom might be, however low the sociological trends and opinion polls sink, 
Don't yield to the spirit of despair. Instead, choose the most radical of all political options today, the subversive act of genuine joy. The sicknesses of our world easily provoke fear and insecurity. But the psalmist encourages us to resist those temptations. He invites each person, every nation, all the ends of the earth, and even the entire cosmos, sea, rivers, and mountains, to know the joy of being known and loved by Israel's God. Joy, of course, can be an ambiguous term. Many people link it with happiness, health, success, fame, wealth, pleasure, fun, or good fortune. In that sense of the word, joy is derivative. In other words, it's attached to and dependent upon some external source. Joy of that sort can exude a sense of smugness, entitlement, narcissism, and even self-pity in the absence of the desired objects. Such joy seldom lasts for long or is genuinely fulfilling because it creates its own set of needs that are rarely satisfied. We all know privileged people, for example, who enjoy the most fortunate of personal circumstances, but who are never content, always unhappy. And conversely, we know people who possess very little, but nevertheless radiate equanimity and gladness, no matter their circumstances. And which is sadder? that one could be so easily fulfilled by so very little, a new car or a bigger house, or that you readily miss so much, what the psalmist calls the blast of the ram's horn, or the shout from the rooftop. The philosopher Boethius from the 6th century thus wrote, what an upside-down state of affairs when a person who was divined by his gift of reason thinks his excellence depends upon the possession of lifeless bric-a-brac. Genuine joy is more elusive, more subtle, and more nuanced than mere happiness, pleasure, or good fortune. In his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis describes joy as, quote, an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. I doubt, says Lewis, whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if both were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world. Whereas we can manipulate circumstances to our own advantage to obtain what we think will bring us happiness, or expend great efforts in pleasure-seeking, joy is entirely gratuitous. You can't earn it, buy it, or deserve it. It's a divine gift to receive rather than a selfish goal to pursue. The opposite of joy is not sadness or sorrow, but anxiety. Jesus encouraged his followers not to worry about your life. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Consider the joy of the birds in their morning song, said Jesus, or the flowers in their springtime glory. 
If the Lord of the universe clothes creation with such extravagance, then we can rejoice in his love, regardless of our circumstances. And in the gospel for this week, Jesus says that we rest in God's love so that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be complete. Similarly, the close cousin of joy is not happy, happiness, but confidence. Kierkegaard, that famously melancholy Dane, made this connection between joy and confidence. If at every moment, said Kierkegaard, both present and future, if it were eternally certain that nothing has happened or ever can happen, not even the most fearful horror invented by the most morbid imagination and translated into fact, which can separate us from God's love, here would be reason for joy. Psalm 98's invitation to joy is based upon what God has done and what he will do. He has done marvelous things, says the psalmist. He's remembered his love. He's extended salvation far beyond Israel to the ends of the earth. And in the future, says the psalmist, God will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. Many people cringe when they hear God described as the judge of the earth, Psalm 98.9. But for the psalmist, and I can well imagine today for the people in Darfur or Congo or Iraq, the promise that the global God will right all wrongs is a cause for confidence and joy. In a world plagued with wars, starvation, HIV, AIDS, inequities of all sorts, and preventable suffering, with leaders who manipulate us with the politics of fear, perhaps nothing's more radical or countercultural than to live with joy and confidence. But living joyfully because of God's love, said the mystic Juliana of Norwich in the 14th century, is the greatest honor we can give Almighty God. And for further reflection, when have you been not merely happy, but joyful, and why? What are some common substitutes for joy? How might we prepare ourselves to receive joy? And finally, is it possible to be joyful even in times of difficulty and sadness? For books this week, I review Paul Gordon Chandler, Pilgrims of Christ on the Muslim Road, Exploring a New Path Between Two Faiths, Lanham, Maryland, Roman and Littlefield, 2007, 215 pages. The earliest Christian movement was so completely Jewish that followers of Jesus continued to worship in their synagogues. Rome considered it a sect of Judaism, and Paul described the later influx of Gentiles as wild branches grafted onto the natural, 
nourishing trunk of Judaism. The first major conflict of the movement was whether and how Gentile converts could even join this Jewish faith. Given this heritage, it's a bitter irony that centuries later Christianity earned a reputation that was anti-Semitic, anti-Arab, and pro-Western. Paul Gordon Chandler a U.S. Episcopal priest who has lived and served most of his life throughout the Muslim Middle East and Africa, argues forcibly against the status quo of cultural and civilizational clash. Just as the Apostle Paul insisted that Jesus destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, Ephesians 2.14, Chandler intends to show how and why Christians can bridge the bitter divide between, between the Christian West and the Arab-Muslim Middle East. He does this through a comprehensive study of the life of Mazhar Maluhi, born in 1935, a famous Syrian novelist and self-described, quote, Sufi Muslim follower of Christ, end quote. Chandler finds earlier wisdom in The Christ of the Indian Road, 1925, by E. Stanley Jones, and also in his notion that Christianity, with all its attendant sociological, religious, cultural, political, and historical baggage, quote, is not the same as Jesus, end quote. <clears throat> what might it look like, wonders Chandler, for Jesus to be naturalized upon the Arab-Muslim road. Sidestepping questions of Islamic theology, he focuses on the implications of Maluhi's con conversion and subsequent Christian experience. It's a colorful and compelling story, well worth reading in its own right. Chandler's narrative reminds us just how deeply and tragically so much of what passes for Christianity has been deformed by its marriage to Western values. But whether someone like Maluhi can bridge the Arab-Western and Christian-Muslim divide remains to be seen. He himself has paid a very high price for his allegiance to Christ. He's also hardly an Orthodox believer, he rarely attends church, he says that he has little use for the historic creeds, and he's been roundly ostracized and persecuted by both Muslims and Christians. And alert believers on both sides will not miss the point that, despite a more culturally friendly evangelistic style, the substance and end of religious conversion remain the same. And that's a profound theological matter that I'd love to read a book about that's written by Chandler or someone like him, who combines his personal experiences, cultural sensitivity, pastoral care, and theological nuance. Like most good books, this one left me scratching my head with many complicated questions. Paul Gordon Chandler Pilgrims of Christ on the Muslim Road, exploring a new path between two faiths. For film this week, I review Rachel Getting Married, 2008. Rachel is getting married.
But the unfortunate center of attention is her sister, Kim, played by Anne Hathaway. Kim has a weekend pass from her residential rehab program, and when she comes home, she ignites the flames of family dysfunctions. Sarcasm and sibling rivalry, manipulation and negotiation, control and codependence, shame and blame, fight and flight, in most everyone spinning their best. Everything's going to be perfect, Rachel's mother Abby assures her. It's not perfect, of course, far from it. But as the movie evolves, we begin to realize that that's okay. Two very long scenes add a deeply human touch to this film. First, the rehearsal dinner with corny jokes, heartfelt stories, and well-wishing by a mix of families and friends that only a wedding can muster. And then the wedding itself on a rainy day that still can't dampen genuine human celebration. Natural lighting, the absence of any music track, and handheld cameras give the film the feeling of a wedding home movie that might easily be about our very own families. Rachel Getting Married from 2008. And finally this week, for poetry, we've posted a poem called All Ye Joyful by J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien lived from 1892 to 1973. Again, the title of the poem, All Ye Joyful. Sing all ye joyful, now sing all together. The winds in the treetop, the winds in the heather. The stars are in blossom, the moon is in flower. In bright are the windows of night in her tower. Dance all ye joyful, now dance all together. Soft is the grass, and let foot be like feather. The river is silver, the shadows are fleeting. Merry is Maytime, in Merry our meeting. Sigh no more, pine, till the wind of the morn. Fall moon, dark be the land. Hush, hush, oak, ash, and thorn. Hushed by all water, till dawn is at hand. All Ye Joyful by J.R.R. Tolkien Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, May the 17th, 2009. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.